But uh, so, uh, good morning, church in the house in the sanctuary. Good morning, uh, church, maybe in your own homes, uh, with us online. Good to be together. Uh, grace and peace to you in God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, this is week three of our six-week series on our five values. Week three, six-week series, five values. Um, try to do the math on that. We thought we'd uh, start off the new year by kind of recommitting and regrounding ourselves in those values that we discerned and came up with and named uh, a couple of years ago. Two weeks ago, we talked about our values prologue, what it means to acknowledge Jesus as Lord, what it means to follow a person, and particularly a first century rabbi, uh, in other words, Jesus, and the necessity and the importance of being intentional about that. Uh, We don't drift into obedience Uh, As Dallas Willard says, we don't drift into obedience. It requires intention on our part. And so we want to be intentional about our faith and devoted to such, hence the striving that we talk about in that prologue. Last Sunday morning, we talked about the first of our values, loving all people unconditionally and looking at the Gospels and the life and life and ministry of Jesus as a template uh, for what it means to love all kinds of, of different people, and you remember some of the kinds of people. Do you remember some of the kinds of people we talked about that we saw that Jesus loved? Name them. I dare you. You're getting some of them. Women, people who oppress sinners. Do you remember others? Outcasts, people who are sick. Foreigners, absolutely. Yeah, those were among the people that we saw, different kinds of people that were included in Jesus' love, all people, and unconditionally. And we heard from uh, Thomas Merton about uh, not limiting our love for other people based on people's perceived worthiness or merits or what they've done, a person's attributes, or basing our love for other people on not only the way we view them, but the way they may or may not view us or think about us. Love all people unconditionally. So a question for you. Um, Did anyone in high school uh, just kind of cringe when the teacher uh, asked if anyone did their homework? Anyone else kind of cringe on that one uh, back in high school? So how many of you were intentional during the past week about loving all people unconditionally, what we talked about here this morning. How many of you were? Hands, show of hands. Show of fingers, show of fingernails. Good. Uh, Some of you, uh, the rest of us, we have a new week ahead of us. And we're here on Sunday mornings in God's Word together, not just to hear, but also to apply and to practice. And it's in the applying and the practice that the world is different and that we are different and that we become. So I encourage you to do that. Take that up. Uh, We're not just interested in memorizing our values, but embodying them more and more in our minds, in our lives, in our hearts, in our spirits. Uh, This morning we're on to uh, value two in the scriptures, but before we do that, let me pray one more time. Pray with me. God, may uh, this time in your word be a time of deep reflection for us, 
not just outwardly on what words uh, mean or what they say, uh, but uh, quite personally, uh, what you would have us learn and who you would have us become, the things you would have us see, uh, renovate our hearts, renovate our minds, uh, transform us outwardly and inwardly, top to bottom, left to right, uh, forward and behind, uh, through uh, the power of your word. I pray and ask that as my words are true to your word, that they be taken to heart. If my words stray or deviate in any way from your word, may they be immediately forgotten. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we begin this morning in the scriptures in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. Uh, Jesus is with his 12 disciples. Uh, they are heading toward Jerusalem. Chapter 10 of Mark's gospel begins with what is known as, uh, or chapter 11, rather, of Mark's gospel begins with uh, what is known as Jesus' triumphal entry uh, to Jerusalem, which we celebrate on Palm Sunday. We are right before that now, this morning, in Mark's gospel. Uh, several days before Jesus' uh, crucifixion, Last Supper, crucifixion, uh, etc., the next morning. Uh, the disciples know that something's up, as you'll uh, sense as we begin to read. So listen closely, uh, beginning at chapter 10, verse 32 of Mark's gospel. This is God's word. Jesus and his disciples were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, Jesus took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen to them, to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, sort of elevation-wise, geographically, it's a high place, he said. And the Son of Man, Jesus' favorite way of referring to himself, will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him, Jesus speaking of himself in the third person. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus, teacher, rabbi, teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the 10, the other 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together, everybody together now. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus and his disciples were on their way to Jerusalem. Again, verse 32 with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished. Mark doesn't tell us why. While those who followed, so the 12 and more, were afraid. Again, quoting 
uh, Mark verse, uh, 10, verse 33. Again, Jesus took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen to them. We're going into Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles or the Roman authorities who will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And three days later, he will rise. And in maybe the most extreme case in human history of students not listening to their teacher, of people being spoken to, not hearing at all what's being said to them, but instead were focused on their own wants, their own needs, their own desires, their own agendas, John and James, James and John replied, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Did they hear anything that Jesus was saying? Or are they sometimes as we are, or were they as we sometimes are? Thinking in our own heads what we're about to ask, what we want to say, what we're going to reply while someone's talking to us. Some of us can be just as obtuse or self-absorbed. I can be. But Jesus sort of graciously goes along with them instead of shaking his head and yelling at his disciples for not paying attention at all to what he'd just been saying, the very important things that he had been talking about. His crucifixion among them, Jesus replies, all right, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want? Then they, James and John, replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left. They are jockeying for positions of power. They sensed, they hoped, they believed Jesus was about to do something really great, maybe establish his kingdom, maybe overthrow the Romans, maybe some religious or political coup of some sort. And James and John, they went in on the action. They wanted, while they could, to secure positions, high positions, in what they imagined would become Jesus' cabinet. They wanted first dibs, as is natural for us human beings, to get our foots in the door, our feet in the door, get your foot in the door. He who hesitates is lost, right? Every man for himself. The early bird gets the worm. They are us. We are them. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the, baptize, the baptism I am baptized with? And Jesus graciously goes along with them again. Jesus, uh, they answer, we can. Okay. Jesus said to them, okay, you will drink the cup I drink, and you will be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with, but to sit in my right hand or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by his Father. When the ten heard about this, Mark writes, they became indignant with James and John. But the other disciples weren't necessarily indignant or upset with James and John for what or because of what James and John did, but maybe rather because James and John were first. James and John snuck in before the others had the chance. They, James and John beat them to the punch. James and John made their move before the other 10 had had a chance. James and John got an unfair head start. And then Jesus calls them all together for this little sit down and to really shine some light into their lives to expose the condition of their hearts, to give them a taste of reality, and to teach them in no uncertain terms 
about the kingdom of God. Verse 42, Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers over the Gentiles, this is how the Gentiles operate, they lord it over their people. And their high officials, they exercise authority over them, high-handedness, top-down rule. And then this is kind of the fulcrum of this passage, not so with you. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you and who doesn't want to be great in some way. I mean, none of us are going to raise our hands, I want to be great. But we all want to be great in some way. Whoever wants to be great among you must be your, brace yourself, servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all, right? Servants were always last, slaves were laster. For even the Son of Man, again, Jesus' favorite way of referring to himself, didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, kind of in Hebrew idiom, or all. And in the next chapter of Mark's Gospel, chapter 11, Mark will, uh, Jesus will go into the temple and overturn the tables of the money changers and so physically in that scene, through his actions, upend the very fabric of their worldviews, their religious lives, their way of operating. And Jesus does the exact same thing here at the end of chapter, tw- chapter 10 with his, not his actions, but his words. Not so with you. Instead, everyone who wants to become great among you, James and John, must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first, all of you secretly, I know, let's admit, not you, but Jesus' disciples, must be slave of all. And these words, if you look at the arc of history, really began to redefine greatness. What it means to be great, who is great, how to be great. In the words of the New Testament scholar James R. Edwards, at no place do the ethics of the kingdom of God clash more vigorously with the ethics of the world than in the matter of power and service. In a decisive reversal of values, Jesus speaks of greatness in service rather than greatness of power, prestige, and or authority. The preeminent virtue of God's kingdom is not power, not even freedom, but, vir- but servant and service. And I think we get that and we buy into it And then at a lot of other times, we don't get it. And we won't buy into it. As a culture, as a world, as a race, we humans sometimes measure people by their service, but at other times, and probably more often, we measure people and ourselves by the amount of power that other people and that we possess. And power, power can take, it doesn't have to be ugly, power can take many, many shapes and forms. Most of you know that the second of our values is serving our neighbors generously. Following the Lord Jesus, we strive to love all people unconditionally, serve our neighbors 
generously. And in many ways, I think this serve thing is a subset of the love in loving all people unconditionally. Serving is a subset of loving, which in the scriptures means with Ansel's help, we talked about last week and in recent months, to consistently will and choose the good of another and what benefits another person to wish another person well and to act, action, in that direction and on their behalf. And serving is a part of that. It can be, but I think there are still important distinctions of serving that are important to understand and important to live. So in English, the verb serve is obviously related to the noun servant. And so at its core, serving or service is what a servant does. More specifically, service is the menial work of a household, is it not? It is the work that no one wants to do or that people least want to do. It is what a person doesn't have time for. And so if one can afford, pays a servant to do that. In Jesus' day, not unlike today, no one did the work of a servant unless they had no other choice. For example, they were, there were bond servants, there were indentured servants, there were slaves in, any, in every house that could afford one. And they were at the very bottom of every socioeconomic ladder that there was. They didn't have freedom. They didn't have choices. And no one in Jesus' day wanted to be thought of, wanted to be, wanted to be considered, wanted to be called a servant or to do the work of service. And then along comes Jesus, the incarnation of God the God of the universe who was not only willing to get dirty and do the dirty work of atonement and salvation, but who did so willingly, gladly, in love, and in doing so upended the world, or at least those who were interested in this kingdom. For even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we can love people, and thinking about love this week, we can love people with words. We can love people with gifts. We can love people by praying for them. But to serve someone almost inherently involves some kind of relationship, sometimes touch. It involves a relationship. It involves doing. It involves a certain humility in other words, putting one another before oneself, considering others better than oneself, humbling oneself. And humility is broadly recognized as one of the greatest virtues and something we're all drawn to in other people, are we not? But humility as a virtue is never achieved by becoming great in the eyes of the world, but rather by relinquishing that greatness and choosing to quietly do the unappealing, behind-the-scenes, sometimes grimy or unglorious work of a servant. Thus, we are called to service. I want to say that we're called to servantness, but that's not a word. We're called to serve in the way of a servant, or as Jesus says, a slave, though more of a first century Roman idea of slavery than the early American awful, awful, horrible, horrible practice of slavery in America. 
We're called to serve or to service because other people need our serving and our service. And we are invited to serve or to service because we need to serve. Our minds and our spirits need the humility that can come along with taking the place in the role of a servant and serving others in the way of Jesus, as did Jesus. In fact, and to this point, I think it is very difficult for a person to truly or fully follow Jesus if serving others or the humble disposition and activity of servanthood in serving others is not a part of one's life is not an element of the practice of one's faith, is not a part in some way, shape, or form and time of one's following Jesus. I think it's that important and that essential of a component. Volunteering, again, if you look at the arc of human history, the idea of voluntary service or servantness begins with Jesus. Sort of, it's kind of a cultural, irreligious, kind of virtuous idea in our world today. But it began with Jesus. It was manifest in Jesus. It reached its pinnacle in Jesus. Serving our neighbors generously. We know when we've talked so much over the years and, and even recently who our neighbors are. We can't say who our neighbors are and aren't because no one's not our neighbor in Jesus' vision. But our neighbors are not just the people next door that we like, right? They're the people on the other side or the back fence or who live above us who won't stop jumping on the floor, which is our ceiling. Our neighbors are the people who are very different than we are, even though they live in close proximity. Our neighbors sort of encompass everyone within a certain radius or orbit. Almost anyone we come into, Jesus' definition in his Samaritan good guy parable makes the least likely person in his audience's mind into the neighbor. It is the people that we have stopped seeing around us for whatever reason because we've discounted them and in our minds discarded them. They are our neighbors, the people that we think are way down here or maybe way up there. Serve our neighbors generously. It's one thing to serve. It's one thing to expand our idea of who a neighbor is. And it's another thing to be generous in that as God has been generous with us. Do you ever sort of have an opportunity to give uh, a homeless person or a hungry person something? You go to the restaurant, kind of say I'll order something off the menu, kind of give them a $5 limit or a $10 limit or secretly hope that they don't order, you know, the T-bone steak. You ever uh, sort of feel, and this is just time of confession, uh, how small a $20 bill is if you spend it on yourself, but how big and significant it feels if you give it to someone else? Is anyone ever, am I the only one who's had that experience? 
we serve our neighbors, we're called to just be as generous with others, those neighbors, in service, in our time and our menialness, as we would be with ourselves. And generosity is an important component of that. There is in serving the grace and power to make a difference in others' lives in a variety of ways, and there is also in serving the opportunity for God to awaken and to renovate and to enlarge one's own heart, one's own character, one's own faith. This morning, uh, Laura, Laura, are you here? Laura Birdsall is going to come up. Oh, come on up. We got a mic for you. We got a mic. You, you've got a mic. You've got a mic. Great. Uh, Laura's going to share a little bit with us about uh, herself. I asked her just to, Laura's been a part of the congregation, kind of around the congregation for about a year. Yeah, a little over. Yeah. Right here. Good. Right there. That'd be great. Uh, tell us about yourself real quick. Um, yeah, I was raised in the church and um, have been living in San Mateo for about 10 years. And about a year and a half ago, um, I felt God calling me very clearly to return to church. So I checked out a couple of churches in the area and um, heard one of your sermons where you went into the history of the meaning of a word. <laughs> I was like, I like this. So um, kind of been here ever since, and I'm a total introvert. Um, I met Kevin this morning, and he said, everyone seems to, hi, Kevin, know who you are. And that was terrifying because I try to sit in the back over there and be real quiet. Introverts unite. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and yet you invite me up here. <laughs> here it is. Yeah, we're, God wants us to be where we're uncomfortable sometimes. Um, can you tell us about what you've been doing recently on an almost weekly basis and how that got started for you? Sure, yeah. Um, several months ago, uh, probably more than that now. Five, six. We had a, a guest um, speaker, Reverend Williams, who joined us. I don't know if anyone remembers that, but that was really meaningful to me. Um, he shared some of the ministry he does in East Oakland with the group uh, Homies Empowerment. And so I did a very non-introvert thing. I waited until he was done talking to everybody else, of course, and then introduced myself and let him know that um, uh, I also work with animals. That's kind of the gift that God has given me. I do believe each of us has a very unique gift. And so I went to him and said, I know you work with people in the encampments in East Oakland. Could this be of help to you? And so ever since... Once a week, um, I go out with him to the encampments and visit the families there and see what it is that I can do to help them and their animals, which for most of them are their family. Uh, we're seeing a few slides from uh, <laughs> Borrowed. I hope that's okay. Uh, what has that experience been like for you, and what have you learned through it? Well, like you were saying, um, it's, it's been incredibly fulfilling for me. Uh, one of the best benefits I've gotten on a spiritual level is a friendship with Reverend Williams. Um, he's become very much a teacher to me. So um, these weekly visits with him are not only meaningful in a way that I can be of service, but also really simultaneously fills my cup, as it were. Um, on a personal level, um, I have been sober for about 12 years. Um, before that, when I heard God, instead of showing up at church, I kind of ran the other direction. And um, I, I very much relate to the story of Jonah where he kind of gets swallowed by the big fish, and I feel like that happened to me. <laughs> and when I cried out for mercy, it was really only through God's grace that I was released from that prison. So 
when I work in these encampments, I, I see myself a lot, you know, there but for the grace of God go I. And I think that that's almost a privilege that I have, that I can relate to so many of these folks on a very personal level of, I've been there, you know, we are, we are very much the same, what can I do to help? Mm, that's great. So it sounds like you've learned a lot about yourself. You've learned something too about those who live on the street and encampments. Um, how would they tell this story? Ooh, that's a really good question. I was not prepared for Sorry, that. Sorry, I didn't prepare you for that. <laughs> He's going off script here. Um, <laughs> um, the Bay Area is a hard place to live. Um, you know, your point of $20 and how far that goes for us um, versus how far it goes for them is remarkable. And at the same time, the difference between the ability to live and the ability to live housed is almost unattainable to a lot of people. So they find themselves on the margins of our society. And um, one of the things that I have learned so much from them is how much we as a society judge how they spend their money. But we don't necessarily judge how people with a lot of money spend it. And so it's made me be a lot more thoughtful of what I do with the gifts that I've been given. Mm, great. Um... How would you describe, or is there a way to describe what you've been doing and experiencing over the last four or five months? How does that fit with the gospel of Jesus or the kingdom of God? Well, you, there, there was a sermon where you talked about Jesus coming from Nazareth and how, you know, what good can come from Nazareth. Um, and Reverend Williams would say that, you know, Jesus was born homeless. He was born in the hood. Um, these are his people. Um, that's in his ministry. He would be talking to the, you know, the, the drug addicts and the gangbangers and the prostitutes. And this is, this is where Jesus was. So for me to be able to be there and, and walk those steps is very spiritual, very deeply spiritual. And not only in my friendship with Reverend Williams, but also, Again, on a personal level, um, I've always had a very close relationship with God, but not as much with Jesus. And in doing this action of being of service, I feel myself being drawn closer to really understanding my relationship with Christ. Mm, that's great. And two more questions, kind of easier ones. Okay. Um, what's the most requested item? Thank you for asking that. Um, the most requested item when I go to the encampments of East Oakland where there's families is water is clean drinking water. When I started, I thought I'd go there and bring dog food and toys and cat food, and people just asked me if they can have some clean drinking water. And that really shocked me because, you know, here we are outside of one of the wealthiest cities in the nation, and I have folks coming up to our car asking if we have water. So I make a point now every time to buy some big jugs of clean drinking water and mm -hmm. bring that with us. And uh, our last, are there opportunities for others to do the sorts of things that you're doing either with you or not with you? I mean, of course. Yes, they're everywhere, right? They're uh, within this church. Um, we have a lot of different ways people can be of service, or you can listen to the guest speakers like we had last week. Um, you can talk to members of this congregation. I know there's probably easily another hundred ways that you can be of service, um, but I'm really good at, at praying, especially praying for myself. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty good at sharing my gifts. Um, but this call to be of service has by far been the most meaningful for me.
Mm. So I would really encourage everyone to find some way to use their gift and just kind of walk this path because it's an incredibly beautiful journey. Mm. Thank you so much for going out of your comfort zone and going out on a limb and coming <laughs> up you. here and sharing with us. Thank, Thank you. you for inviting me. You're welcome me. to talk to Laura after worship. She would love to chat with you. <laughs> Thank you. I want to look at another passage of scripture real quick. Uh, John chapter 13, starting at verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And so Jesus got up from the meal, took, out, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured into a basin, poured water into a basin, and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a the towel that was wrapped around him. Verse 12, when Jesus had finished washing their feet, Jesus, their dirty feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. For even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do what I have done for you. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. First we read from Mark's gospel, now we're reading from John's gospel. And listen to what the Apostle Paul, listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians in Philippi. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Verse 5, chapter 2, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who made himself, him who is everything, made himself nothing, taking the very nature or form of a servant. So that is now three very different New Testament authors, Mark, John and the Apostle Paul, who by the Holy Spirit's leading noticed and were prompted to record in different ways the sort of person or Messiah Jesus was, shockingly, a servant or like a servant, and that he would call his followers to do the same. It's everywhere. 
This would have been incomprehensible in the first century or any time before that. The idea of public service did not exist. That came into the world through Jesus. The idea of volunteering and doing lowly tasks voluntarily did not exist before Jesus. That was introduced to the world by Jesus and by those attempting to follow him. Jesus literally redefined what it meant, what it means in the world to be great. And we are still learning. We are still needing to learn. Stephen Covey, the author of the best-selling The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, wrote, It has generally been my experience that the very top people of truly great organizations are servant leaders. Max Dupree, a businessman, writer, and leadership expert, wrote, The first responsibility of a leader is to define reality. The last is to say thank you. In between, the leader is, must be a servant. More succinctly, the leadership guru Robert Greenleaf once wrote, good leaders must first be good servants. And then there are the words of Martin Luther King Jr., whose birthday we celebrated this past week, who wrote, not everybody can be famous. Not everybody can be great, because greatness is determined, but everybody can be great because greatness is determined by service. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to serve. You don't have to know about Plato or Aristotle to serve. You don't have to know Einstein's theory of relativity to serve. You don't have to know the second theory of thermodynamics and physics to serve. You only need a heart full of grace and a soul generated by love. And this all came from Jesus who is still trying to impress upon his people in the world the nature of God's kingdom, the upside-downness of the reign of God among us and hopefully also in us for the glory of God, for the blessing of other people, and for our own joy. Richard Foster says in his little book, Celebration of Discipline, that there is great joy in serving. There is great joy. Think about it. When people come back from uh, mission trips, they're like bouncing off the walls happy. You ever notice that? Most of the time. Sometimes a little tired. Sort of refreshed. And all they've been doing is serving. Huh. The biblical, get this, the biblical scholar, theologian, organist, musicologist, writer, humanitarian, philosopher, and in his spare time physician, Albert Schweitzer wrote, I don't know what your destiny will be, but one thing I know, the only ones among you who will be really happy are those who have sought and found how to serve. For any of you who may be Mahatma Gandhi fans, he wrote, the best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in service of others. I heard an older member of the congregation say, overheard, someone who's been under the weather uh, recently, kind of sort of out of commission, Heard this older member of the congregation say this week, I can't wait to get back to, uh, I'm not going to say the rest, but it's kind of a sort of simple menial task around the church campus that this person has been doing for a long time. I just can't wait to get back to this thing, this serving. And there was such anticipation of joy that went with that and delight and beauty. Henry Nouwen, uh, the Dutch Catholic priest, 
who during the middle part of his life taught, taught at such esteemed universities as Notre Dame and Yale, but who chose to live the latter seasons of his life in community with and serving the developmentally disabled people, wrote these words. The society in which we live suggests in countless ways that the way to go is up. Making it to the top, entering the limelight, breaking the record, that's what draws attention. That's what gets us on the front page of the newspaper and offers us the rewards of money and fame. The way of Jesus is radically different, however. It is the way not of upward mobility, but of downward mobility. It is going to the bottom, staying behind the sets, and choosing the last place. Why is the way of Jesus worth choosing? Because it is the way to the kingdom, the way Jesus took, and the way that brings everlasting life. The way up is down. The way up is down. And so today, uh, everyone gets a towel. Hopefully you got a towel on the way in. If you didn't get a towel on the way in, if you weren't handed one, hopefully uh, you'll get one. You'll be handed one on the way out. As a reminder, and maybe even maybe as a means, as a tool, as an instrument, as a means. As a reminder, okay. But maybe also as an actual means of serving someone. Maybe a stranger, maybe a neighbor, maybe an unhoused person, maybe a child in our nursery this Sunday, next Sunday, one of the coming Sundays. Maybe someone in a convalescent home, maybe someone who's unhoused, maybe someone with dirty feet. There are a lot of ways a simple towel can be used to serve, and if not actually used, then a reminder for you to keep in your car, to keep on your dashboard, to keep in your home, to keep wherever you go out, to keep on your desk at work, to carry with you at school, to tie on your backpack as a reminder and maybe also a means of seeking to do what Jesus called his disciples to do, of seeking to do what Jesus himself did. And regardless, May every one of us this week, over and over, have it in our prayers and a part of our prayers, God put in front of me, put in my path people, neighbors, whom I may serve generously. God put in my path people, neighbors, whom this week, right now, with or without this, whom I may actually serve generously. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. We're going to join together in prayer. But as uh, we were finishing, um, and Shannon mentioned or went through some quotes about service, brought to mind something I heard Jimmy Carter say when we were serving in Haiti, that this work of service allows us to do what we're called to do, without exalting ourselves or demeaning the people we come to help. Let it be so. Let's pray together. Lord, as we contemplate your call to service, to serve our neighbors in their needs, we hear the call of your prophet Isaiah to engage in your work, to stand up for injustice, to share food with the hungry, to provide shelter to the wanderer and to the homeless, into the immigrant, 
and to clothe those who lack the necessities of life. We pray that we can live our lives in answer to this call. Your word promises that when we do these things, we can call on you and you will answer, that our light will rise in the darkness. Let it be so, Lord. And we pray that you will put in our path those that we can serve this week and every week. Show us where we can be light to the darkness and how we can shed that light on those around us, the light of your love and your eternal word. We pray that we can involve ourselves in the community and add your truth to the public debate. That we can share your love and compassion to those that are lonely, that seek love and seek to have their needs met. We ask that you um, raise our voices in, as we echo you in our call to love. And we pray for our community partners that serve the needy and the lost, for those in our congregation who've stepped forward to serve alongside uh, in uh, preparing or delivering food to the hungry or to the unhoused, for ministry to the imprisoned, for helping the elderly and disabled members of our congregation, for building homes for the low-income families in our neighborhood, for ministering to youth, and so many other things that are done from this congregation and through this congregation. We pray that each one of us can serve according to our capabilities and our abilities. Lord, the needs are great, but your call is clear to be great by being a servant, to be first by being a slave to all. You, call, you came to serve, and we honor you by doing no less. Lord, open our hearts. Make us a generous people. Let our community know that your word is preached here, and your word is lived out here, and your word is known in the community, and that we are known as people who love and serve those around us, and not just members of this church, Lord, but all of those that we encounter around us each day. And we pray all of this in the name of your name, Lord Jesus, as we pray to the Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this word today. Thank you for um, what we know that you will do in our hearts as we step forward today. Give us the um, insight to know exactly where you are calling us and what is needed. And give us those open hearts to be, to, and open ears to hear your call and to follow without question. We thank you. We give you praise. Amen.